Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Pacific Rim Uprising in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. First things first, uh, still planning on doing my insane review on Friday's episode. I have not seen the movie yet, uh, but I'm recording this Tuesday night, so uh, that leaves two whole days to get the, find the time to do it. I'm not sure what that's going to happen. Uh, currently looking at Thursday, but um, we'll see. If things change, things change. I don't know what the replacement episode's going to be at this time, and... I guess I'll work on that. Uh, but so uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's gonna it's gonna work out. So just keeping you updated on that. And then next week we enter April. And uh, my plan at the moment is, is probably as I even update it now. Um, currently, the schedule looks like top ten March films. Top 10 new March films on Monday, uh, followed by Ready Player One review episode on Wednesday, followed by uh, either probably March-born actors on Friday, uh, or maybe Ready Player One statistics. I, I don't know if that film has enough people in it to be worth a statistics episode, but those are, I don't know, that can go either way at the moment. Um, so I got that uh, kind of planned out, and I think if I... I mean, I've been I've been like tracking ahead of time these episodes for a while now, but voicing them on here will make it a lot uh, easier for me to stick with that schedule. So that is what I currently have on tap, and uh, here's to all of that coming to fruition. But today's episode is about Pacific Rim, specifically Uprising, and before we get into the film that came out over the weekend first my impressions from the original movie now i haven't seen the first pacific rim in quite some time and according to my spreadsheet i watched it october 6th 2013 um i don't think i saw it maybe i did see it in theaters i don't think so though pacific rim release date July, July, August, September, October. Probably didn't see it in theaters. Probably did not see it. No, uh, I watched it at home, and I, uh, I mean, it was going up against, what, Transformers movies? That was kind of the preconception. Uh, the previous Transformers movie was 2011's Dark of the Moon, which I think is pretty bad. But Pacific Rim, uh, you know, it was based in a different country. It had a much better representation within its cast and had better reviews pretty much all around than a Transformers movie had. So for me, it seemed like it was going to be superior to the Transformers movies. And it just wasn't for me. I... I fully respect, like, the Mako Mori element of things. I, I love her character. I thought she was great in the first movie. 
but Charlie Hunnam, not so great in, in the first movie, but that's kind of besides the point, because my main problem with these movies is not just restricted to the first movie, so I'm going to kind of use this as a segue into talking about Uprising, and that is the comparison that I like to make between Pacific Rim and Transformers, which is now far more apt, because Pacific Rim's really a franchise now, and that is the action scenes. Transformers gets a lot of flack for its terrible action scenes, and they're terrible. They're really bad. You have giant hunks of metal fighting each other, and the editing and sound and just camera angles are not the best, and so half the time you're not sure what piece of metal belongs to what thing, and you're not sure whether you should be with it or against it, uh, particularly in like the city scenes where there's action in Transformers, uh, when you've got Transformers and buildings and Decepticons, and it's just, it's all really bad. However, I don't think Pacific Rim is much better for different reasons. Uh, I will grant the uh, choreography is far superior in Pacific Rim movies. They know, they have a much better idea of how to, um, of how to frame the, the metal monsters and, and or kaiju and make it so when they're fighting, you know who's what, and you know which thing you should be rooting for, and when it, someone lands a blow, you know if it's good or not, generally speaking. Uh, so 100% Pacific Rim is infinitely better. The problem is Transformers don't have little people, human people inside of them, that are mimicking the moves that the Transformers are doing on the outside. And... Pacific Rim does. So the fact of the matter is that all these action scenes, you've got big giant mech monsters fighting, but then every two seconds, three seconds, you have to cut to the inside of these mech monsters to show the people doing the exact same thing you just saw or are going to see the mech monsters do, except with in, in midair. You know, they're, they're faking it, basically. And that's not, like, there's a, there's a moment in Uprising where John Boyega and Scott, East, Scott Eastwood are both piloting the same uh, uh, Jaeger and diving to catch something as the Jaeger. Sure. We show the Jaeger diving. Then we cut inside and it's Boyega diving. And then we cut back outside and it's, the Jaeger again. And then we cut back inside and we see Boyega reaching and we see the hologram of the thing he's trying to catch moving toward his hand. And then we cut back outside and the thing's just outside of his fingers. And then we cut back inside and the hologram is missing his fingers. That is way, way, way too much. And that is the simplest of action sequences where they overuse the back and forth editing technique of showing what's inside and what's outside and what's inside and what's outside and what's inside and what's outside. We, it, it's, it's irritating for me. I don't know about anyone else. I've never heard anyone really dis bring this up before. I don't think I'm the first person to think it though. And it's irritating. And multiply that by a hundredfold when it's uh, multiple Jaegers doing multiple things at the same time with multiple enemies 
uh, like the climax of Uprising, which is kind of what happens. There's multiple Jaegers piloted by multiple people fighting against multiple enemies, and constantly, you're just, you're so lost, right? And the reason for that is that when you're inside the Jaeger, looking at the people, they're not physically interacting with a fucking thing. And when you're outside the Jaeger, uh, it's fine. It's, it's actually just fine. But then you never see the people inside it, so what's the point of having them inside it? I think that the, the premise is inherently flawed. It's, and it's inherently flawed because it's, it's, you know, if you want to compare it to, say, Power Rangers, which also has mech things with human people inside them, the difference being that the humans inside piloting the mechs in Power Rangers aren't physically doing the things that the mechs are doing. So it's like having a control station as opposed to using a VR headset suit attachment. And also, for the most part, uh, you you can see the people in Power Rangers through windows or windshields or glass things. Uh, And as far as I can recall, that only happens once in Uprising. And uh, that's... And, like, it, it's not even a person who's physically doing the things. Like, it's someone manning guns. Like, literally just like what a Power Ranger person would do. So, it, it, it really distorts the action scenes and ruins them, as far as I'm concerned. And I can't really get over that. That is... Because that is so integral to what these movies are about, it is a big conceit. It is kind of the hook of this franchise... And I think it's really shitty. I do. I think if I want to see people inside the robots, I would rather watch them in a Power Rangers sort of format. Or if I don't want, if I have to see giant robots, honestly, I would rather see them in a Transformers style format. Now, Transformers, again, has its own flaws, but I think that there are a lot more things going on like, if you could just take the choreography that's so well done in Pacific Rim and port it over to Transformers, infinitely better. The action scenes in that, infinitely better. Now, if they have to, absolutely have to, do the people inside of the Jaeger mimicking what the Jaeger's doing, um, look at something like Real Steel, which is what ultimately happens at the end of that movie. And, like, Real Steel, Hugh Jackman... uh, Okay, Hugh Jackman is a boxer and robots box each other and they're basically controlled by people because the robots um, like remote controlled but then towards the end of the movie Jackman like overrides the remote control in his robot so that he's the one shadow boxing outside the ring showing the robot what it should be doing alright basically doing what they do in a Jaeger and the the way that it's so interesting because that final sequence is actually shot really well because you get these overhead cameras that are kind of like at a medium distance and you see the two robots in the ring fighting each other in the foreground and then in the background on the other side of the ropes you can see jackman in the periphery he's not the focus you're not zeroed in on him but you see him back there doing exactly what the robot is doing punching ducking blocking weaving and there has to be a way to do that in Pacific Rim. Now, 
I can't think of the last time picture in picture has ever worked in a movie or even a TV show. I remember like my TV had it when I was younger. And so, but it's like, it's super clunky. I don't know if there's a way to make that work in a movie. Uh, but if there was ever a movie that needed it, it's probably Pacific Rim. Just like the idea of, I mean, this is super crude, but like, Replace like showing the fuzzy outline of the guys inside the Jaeger while they're fighting, like doing the thing like that. Even that would just be better. Just not needing to cut back and forth between two things that are effectively identical in what they translate to would benefit that those that franchise from an action perspective immensely. Okay, so yeah, I have a big problem with the action, but. That's not all these movies are. There's story here. There's acting. There's performances. Uh, I don't know. I mean, again, I'm not the biggest fan of the first movie. Uh, on my spreadsheet, it has a 46, so it's just below average for me. And the new one doesn't fare much better. Uh, in fact, I think it's slightly worse. I think you have a much better leading man in uh, Boyega. I think he's great. In the movie, he's very charismatic. He's a lot of fun, uh, and it's great. It's it's really fascinating to see him in this sort of like playboy attitude that kind of uh, really rails hard against the against the character he plays in uh, the Star Wars, which is Finn, who's a lot more straight laced, a lot more sort of scaredy cat, um, and. and but but a good friend kind of a character and in this he's a much big he gets to really stretches stretches muscles and then test things out and I like that uh, you have uh, Charlie Hunnam sacrificed for Scott Eastwood who is a significant step down Eastwood is a terrible actor and needs to stop being in movies you have throwaway secondary characters generally women uh, who don't get a lot to do. Uh, Mako Mori really doesn't get much to do in this movie. Um, who else? Let me see. Just so I know who I'm talking about. Uh, Alright. Um, Mori, played by Rinko Kikuchi. Definitely a smaller role in this movie. She takes a back seat and very little impact. You have uh, Jing Tian who could be a totally interesting character in this movie. Uh, she she has an interesting sort of role in the third act, and I wish she'd been built up more. I don't think we needed... I think either you cut her character and just mold it into Mako Mori's, or, I don't know, something else. You have to build her character up in some way or another to give her more agency. Um... But they don't really take the time to do that. Uh, you also have uh, a newcomer, Kaylee Spaney. Uh, this is the only movie she's credited in on Letterboxd. And she was good. I liked her in this movie, actually. I thought she was pretty not fun. Uh, she had good charisma. She like worked well with everybody. I totally bought her in the role. And in like the, for the entire middle part of the movie, she's relegated to the sidelines, really doesn't get much to do. She just kind of whines about not being able to pilot a Jaeger for a while. And that's just totally uninteresting. And the movie pivots hard over to Boyega almost 
solely Boyega. And then finally she resurfaces uh, towards the end of the movie. And that sucks. I mean, I know Boyega is a much bigger name right now from Star Wars. And obviously nobody knows who Kaylee Spaney, who maybe Spiney, Spaney, Spiney. Uh, nobody knows who she is. But I just, I just think that could, they could have been doing so much more with that movie. And they just not. not with her role, rather. And they just, they didn't. And that's a shame. Um... And then there's, like, a bunch of people that are, are her, like, cadet, co-cadets, or whatever. None of them matter. They, for who knows what reason, play a role in the third act, and they don't need to because no one knows who they are. We don't know anything about them, and they're irrelevant. So, uh, yeah. And then even, even more strange, even stranger is... Uh, see if I can find her name it's probably not going to tell me on letterboxd I will go to imdb for this answer because this really bugged me and that is well uh, Ivana Sakno plays uh, Victoria for no reason she is like a bitch to uh, Amara Kaylee Spaney's character and then like gets one throwaway line that's supposed to uh, completely alleviate her of any wrongdoing but that's stupid uh, then there's also Jules character in the movie Adria Arjona Arjona she that is not I mean I don't know let me see on Letterboxd she was also in the Belko experiment uh, she's going to be in Life of the Party later this year and a movie called Triple Frontier. Mm, I don't know. Anyway, uh, she is basically part of a love triangle with Boyega and Eastwood in this movie that bears no fruit. You never care about her character. She never has a, like more than one line in a scene. Uh, no agency. It just it just doesn't. It doesn't really amount to anything when all is said and done. So, character work in the sequel, with the exception of Boyega and Spain, Spiny, is significantly worse, in my opinion. And that's a big downside, because the characters, you know, between Mako Mori and Idris Elba were one of the bigger draws of the first movie. Uh, you had people... After that movie, after Pacific Rim came out, talking about the Mako Mori test as a better replacement for the Bechdel test, uh, which, if I remember correctly, it was you have a female character with a um, with a plot arc, and the plot arc is independent of any of the plot arcs of the male characters or something to that degree, and I mean that's great. I love that, and it's definitely a high bar to set for a movie because. I mean, so few movies barely even pass the Bechdel test. I can't imagine how many wouldn't pass, don't pass the Make a Mori test. It's it's a far smaller number. And this movie kind of just dumps on that idea. Uh, Kaylee Spaney, who plays the main female role of the movie, you know, her uh, fate is indelibly tied to Boyega 
from the moment we see her, she is 100% connected to Boyega in everything that she does. The reason she gets anywhere in this movie is because of him. Uh, even though he's kind of the reason she takes a step backwards at times, she's I mean, the only reason. The only reason she becomes a cadet is for, because of Boyega. The only reason she becomes she pilots a Jaeger in the first place is Boyega. You know all this sorts of things. So, uh, movie, the writing in this movie is 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 not great. Uh, and that brings me to the conflict of the sequel. So in the original movie, we have these this portal opened up, kaiju rise from the Pacific Ocean. Uh, we build Jaegers to fight them off. Uh, they have this incredibly clunky control system of two people having to link up together. It's you know, but but it it, it did enough in its opening. In, in its release to warrant a sequel, supposedly. And in this, and so, you know, the whole thing, like opening up a breach, breach, not portal, opening up a breach, a kaiju coming in. Uh, my biggest problem with the first movie was why? We don't know why. Why are they there? What caused it? What's the reason? And thank, um, to my you know, I'm very pleased to announce that the sequel actually answers that question. We learn in the sequel why they opened that breach in the first place, what their ultimate goal was, and what they were seeking out to do. And it's not super compelling. Uh, It's really no better than, I don't know, any of the other big blockbuster movies with aliens. And that's kind of disappointing. But I don't know, there's only so many objectives for an alien race to invade Earth. You know, it's like global domination or, or, or galactic domination or however you want to phrase it. Um, the extinction of the species or, you know, uh, taking over the world. You know, it's, it's, it's very cut and dry. And their ultimate goal in this, in this movie is silly. A little silly, but at least it answers that question. So, I don't know, half a point, maybe. And the 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 way that we discover that the threat is returning. So, the movie, the first half of the movie plays out almost identically to Iron Man 2. Uh, you've got... Uh, who, Jing Tian, who is the Sam Rockwell, she's creating uh, remote-controlled Jaegers, the way that Rockwell created remote-controlled Iron Men. And then you've got some Jaeger, we don't know what it is, but some Jaeger goes rogue and attacks um, other Jaegers. We don't see who's piloting them, if anybody. So we're not sure you know, who's the behind it, but you know that can basically be uh, the wrestler. Um, oh, what's his name? The wrestler. What is his name? Uh, Mickey Rourke. Basically, that's Mickey Rourke. And obviously, in Iron Man Two, you know, Mickey Rourke is the one with like the real bad impulses. He's the one that doesn't you know, that is sabotaging things from the inside, and Sam Rockwell uh, means well, 
kind of. You know, he's obviously, like, in it for the money more than anything else, but he doesn't want to, like, kill people. And uh, that's relatively analogous to what's happening. And uh, that was underwhelming of a plot. You know, I, I think there's much more you could have done with these this kind of a setup. Obviously, I think remote control Jaegers are awesome. Uh, it's It reminded me of um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 with the the guys on the the golden people and the bikes and whatnot. I don't remember their race. Uh, but it reminds me of them and, and their sort of remote controlled ships and, and whatever. Uh, so that was neat, and I think that could have ha- uh, bore some fruit that it ultimately doesn't. And it kind of just leaves us thinking about what could have been, and and if there's a third movie, where that might go. And I guess there's a chance. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of these movies don't make a lot of money in the states, but they are doing really well overseas. So I guess that's a good thing. I don't know. Maybe it's not. I don't think it is. I think it's a bad movie, so I don't think. I, I guess there's potential. I guess there could always be a good Pacific Rim movie, but track like Guillermo del Toro didn't give us one, in my opinion, and I think he's as good as anybody at creating a fantastic story, and so I think he didn't exactly... I mean, he didn't really make it work, so... Uh, I don't really have faith in people that aren't Guillermo del Toro because he's, you know, he's in the upper echelon of directors and writers, and uh, I don't know. I, I think there's a little hope for the third movie to be the first one to be good because that's generally not how that happens. So ultimately, I'm pretty sour on this movie. It, it doesn't. I don't know. I gave Pacific Rim Uprising a 44, so two points less than the first movie. So a very negligible difference. Uh, I think what it makes up for with... Um, what, what it makes up for with Boyega as its lead man, it loses in this plot that was from like the 10 minutes in. I was like, okay, this is the bad person. And, oh, it's Iron Man 2, so this is going to happen. And then... Uh, this thing, and then they revealed, like, oh, this is why the kaiju actually came to Earth and opened the breach in the first place. Eh, that's kind of limp. So, I don't know, it, it's 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 not, not great. It's not great. So, uh, with a 44, uh, Pacific Rim Uprising, currently in my top 10 of the year, surprisingly. Uh, it's ranked, it's it's number 9 right now as I've only seen five movies from this year that I would rate above a 60. Uh, so we're almost at the end of March. So, uh, you know, I mean, this happens every year. So we'll, we'll, we'll get those good movies. They'll come out in the summer. They'll come out in the fall. They'll come out in the winter. But spring, early, late, early, tw- early in the year, you don't get a ton of good movies. Um, I don't, I, I don't think I filled out a, a positive top 10 for till like May last year. So this is this is not anything particularly special. And that being said, uh, that's pretty much it. I, I'm not going to really go into spoilers. I don't I think I was able to say everything I needed to, I think without really spoiling anything. So I'm, I'm pretty okay about that. 
but I, I am going to now move over into the week five, six, week four, sorry, week four update of the Fantasy Movie League. If you are exiting this episode before that, uh, thank you for listening. And uh, check out the website, circleoffilm.com, email Circle of Film, Twitter, Circle of Film. Uh, and Patreon Circle of Film. But now, time for the Cinerealists Fantasy Movie League Week 4 update. We sink into our seats right as they dimmed out all the lights. A technicolor world made out of music and machine. I mean, how hard can that be? Week 4 has come and passed us by, and... Uh... Kind of surprising. It was uh, Pacific Rim, which took best performer this past week. I ended up on a play of five in case, uh, I can only imagines, and it turned out turned out pretty fine for me. Uh, it wasn't a huge miss, uh, and on Saturday it was the perfect Cineplex, but that came and went. And by some Monday we had a. Uh, it was like two Pacific Rims, a lot of game nights or Love, Simons, or something. I don't know. None of the people in the Cinderella's Fantasy Movie League had the perfect Cineplex this week. And so no one had their second perfect Cineplex of the season. And the streak of four, three weeks in a row, uh, somebody, at least somebody having a perfect Cineplex is over. And uh, But all told, we had quite a few people over $70 million when the perfect cineplex totaled 88 i think that's pretty solid uh our winner this week was Rahman, who entered week four in the lead and exits week four winning the week and in the lead two weeks in a row now uh they're only two weeks leading and with his second week in the lead uh ties xanadu and the flex for leading the league for two whole weeks, one week away from tying Director's Cut, uh, currently our number two person. Director's Cut uh, came in second, uh, only missing first place by a little less than $2 million, uh, was second previously, and is now down by only $4 million. Uh, Rybone moved up from fourth to third uh, by jumping over Plexi by a couple of million this week, uh, they're only back nine million, nine and a half million from the lead. Uh, Plexi finished with seventy-five million. He's back twelve million from the lead, and then Perks Plex rounds out the top five, as they usually do, uh, with an eighty million week that puts them uh, about thirty-three million dollars outside of the lead. So, difference between Perks Plex and Plexi, there's a little bit of a gap there. Uh, there's an even bigger gap going down further. Uh, badass in a Plex at uh, number six is another 34 million below Perksplex, and then you jump down another 28 million to JLL Laborn. JLL Laborn, who is at 320 uh, $323 million on the season. So there are a, a lot of uh, there's a lot of space, really. Um, you know, you look at last season, and we ended up with six people above 80% of a perfect season, uh, 11 people above 70. 
we have seven people above that 70% line right now and only five above 80. So uh, while for the people at the top, uh, this may seem like a fairly straightforward uh, season, I think the pricing has been pretty solid all around, uh, particularly week three. That was the big one. If you couldn't, if you missed out on, I can only imagine uh, that you, you, that's a tough one to recover from. But we are four weeks in now, and we have four people above $400 million in their total. Uh, Ramon, Director's Cut, Rybone, and Plexi. They uh, are our leaders, and Ramon and Director's Cut both above 90% of a perfect season. Uh, so Ramon at 90.98%, Director's Cut at 90.04%. Director's Cut leads all comers with best performers. Uh, playing two Pacific Rims this week got him up to 13 best performers. Ramon also with two, two Pacific Rims is up to 11. Rybone has 10 and Plexi has 9. Uh, also, Film Obsessed has 9. Film Obsessed currently ranked 11th overall, but has played 9 best performers. Uh, so a big whiff this week. Um, I believe they went with a lineup of a lot of Pauls, and that did not fare them very well. Uh, the Flex, Plexi, Director's Cut, and Raman, the only ones with perfect Cineplexes. Rybone, no perfect Cineplexes in four weeks. Currently ranked third and only nine million out from the leader is a very strong position to be in. Raman winning their second week uh, of the season. Um, individual weeks, independent of them being in the lead for two weeks although those are concurrent occasions. Uh, these are the third and fourth. This is the fourth week that Rahman has won in league history, tying Perksplex with four weeks, Xanadu with four weeks, and one-off the Flex, YoJRB, and Shaubin, a previous winner of the league, Shaubin. Uh, that would be a significant milestone to hit. Um... As far as anything else, uh, not too many big waves being made. As I said, you could only have a maximum of two best performers this uh, this week, so there wasn't a lot of movement there. And looking ahead, uh, using the po using the maximum potential uh, possible score of four hundred and sixty million dollars as a basis to average what each week is worth, um, projecting projecting into the future of the seasons of this season we have uh, pretty much the top four people in contention so Raman, plexi director's cut and rybone uh, with a pretty significant lead over everybody else and there's really uh, you know the numbers currently yield rybone as the projected winner on average but i think any four of those people are at the moment in in the running and uh, we'll just kind of see if any of them stumble in the weeks to come. You know, this is a pretty interesting week. We've got Ready Player One coming out. It's Easter weekend. There's spring breaks happening and not happening. Uh, so there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of figuring to do. A lot of math, and you know, it might just be throwing darts at a board. So, and uh, then we have April, and at the end of April we have infinity war so let's see if it's when infinity war comes out 27th of april so that'll be week five week six week seven okay week nine so week nine of this season is infinity war so 
uh, with eight weeks in the in the bag, we'll have a pretty good idea of who's in the running that for the season. But I think a lot can change in week nine. For sure, Infinity War is going to get split up into days, and that could be a pretty big decision to go on. And it's a lot harder to pick the right day than it is to pick the right movie, in my opinion. So that'll be fun. That'll be interesting. We'll see if that uh, bears any fruit. So uh, that being said, it's uh, pretty much it. Uh, it was not a super exciting week, um, but it was de- uh, you know it was it wasn't a big moving week. But we'll see. Maybe this week will be. Maybe Reddit Player One uh, will really surprise. Maybe will really disappoint. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Appreciate uh, the listenership and the commitment that you make this or any other episode that comes out that you listen to. If you'd like to write in to the show, uh, you can leave comments on iTunes and such. Um, I generally don't see those very often. So, you know, I checked today to see if there had been new ones, but I, I really don't go out of my way to make to double check those regularly so uh, the best way to get in touch is either on twitter at circle of film or through email circle of film at gmail.com uh, ask me about anything everything movies games music tv i'm an open i'm a blank canvas uh if you'd like to uh check out the website circle you can find all the other episodes there that have ever been released you can find every month-born actor list to date. Uh, you can find all the Circle of Film Awards going start, starting from this current year and where things are at the moment, going all the way back to 2012. You can look at statistics, examples of the statistics, how I rank things, what I use, um, anything, information about me and the spreadsheet, all that stuff. And if you'd like to support the show in any way, shape, or form, you can check out patreon.com slash circle of film to find out more about how to do that. Thank you once again for listening to today's episode, our review of Pacific Rim Uprising. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.